2: good evening. I'm Clarence Boone and welcome to Brick It On. We're a multiple award-winning show celebrating 14 years as Indiana's only weekly community radio show committed to exploring the people, issues, and events impacting African Americans.
3: Good evening. I'm William Hosea. and tonight's broadcast, you'll also hear some midterm election analysis from Mark Fraley, Monroe County Democratic Chairman who, among several county and statewide topics, will comment on tomorrow's all-important Mississippi senatorial runoff between candidate Mike Espy and incumbent Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith,
2: all in the next hour on Bring It On. But first, Deborah Meyerson is executive director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities in the most expensive housing market in Indiana. She's leading this nonprofit effort to expand housing options for low to moderate income families in Bloomington, Monroe County, and surrounding areas. As a homegrown nonprofit, SIHO knows
3: area housing needs well and keeps resources for affordable housing in the community they serve. Their vision is to build sustainable and inclusive communities that offer diverse housing options for people of all income levels, ages, and abilities.
2: Deborah joins us this evening to enlighten us on progress to date on improving the affordable housing status in the area. Deborah is always welcome to bring it on.
1: Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here.
2: Uh, thank you for uh, carving out some time. <coughs> so I'm, I'm still using the Thanksgiving uh, uh, sort of yeah, <laughs> analogy We picked here. up on that. Yeah. yeah. Car- okay. All right. Well, it was too short. I mean, you know, just anyway. Thank you for joining us. Um, Wow, there's a lot going on in Monroe County, and what struck me is that statistic that this this for this market area, it's the most expensive for a family to basically afford to live. Can you can you expound on that a little bit?
1: Sure. Um, I'll actually note that it's both high housing costs. It's partly a test to that Bloomington, Monroe County is a great place to live. Um, it's also low wages, so both of those affect housing costs and um, can just make it difficult Uh, and so part of what we're trying to address is how to have some better calibration we're mostly focusing on housing costs other entities in the community will have to look more at incomes and wages Mm -hmm. Um, but certainly both of those really need to be addressed to really successfully address housing needs
2: and along with affordability of course then there's availability Right. Um, you know, what is an inventory for particular, p- potential families to try to rent or to maybe purchase? Can you elaborate a little bit on that? We're going to talk more about it, but just on, on the onset, can you elaborate on that?
1: Sure, that's a great question. And it's actually something that I think that there's been some look at that, but it really needs a more serious in-depth housing analysis. I know that um, the Regional Opportunity Initiative, uh, which is an 11-county uh, initiative that's being managed by uh, uh, in Bloomington, but covering 11 county area is starting a regional housing study that will include Monroe County. Uh, There's been some talk about drilling down to look more closely at the data that they collect to look specifically at Monroe County and Bloomington. And that's what really needs to be done. Um, We know from anecdotal experience that people are struggling with housing and finding where they can live, uh, especially for low to moderate income households. But the exact numbers are, we don't have that yet. Um, we really need more of that. And so that's where an in-depth housing analysis of the local market is important because we need to know what the needs are and able to, to be able to um, figure out policies that will support
2: them. Mm-hmm. I, I was gonna just interject one thing. Uh, we will use this phrase low to moderate income. And for those listeners that, uh, for everyone that listens, perhaps they have a different threshold in mind. Can you define what is low to modern income, the, the threshold? Levels.
1: Sure. I'll start out with what 100% of the area median income is. I'll try not to get too in-depth with the jargon um, that's associated with housing, but uh, 100% of area median income for a family of four in Monroe County is $72,800. So when you talk about 80% of area median income, that's considered low income. And so 80% or less than that is considered low income. Um, and uh, so moderate would usually be considered 80 to 120% of area median income, or AMI, is, is abbreviated. So for instance, um, one of the projects that we're working on is developing air departments. We have eight units in the phase one. and. Um, Six of those units are for 50% of area median income. So that would be somebody earning approximately $36,000 a year. Um, In terms of then you figure out, people often ask, what is affordable? What does that mean? The way that's usually calculated is 30% of one's income. It should be allocated towards housing or housing costs, because that really should include both housing, like your rent, but also utilities. And so, making sure that it stays within that thirty percent is roughly considered affordable. So that's just some guidelines. The Switch art department's project has, um, again, six units for fifty percent AMI, and two units for eighty or uh, two units for uh, sorry, three units for eighty um, percent AMI, and five for fifty percent. So again, just trying to, it's a lot of math that goes in with that. But just again, starting with that seventy-two eight for the for people, uh, for a four-person household, and then kind of ratcheting it down from there uh, to understand what it means to be low-income.
3: Yeah, a lot of math. That's why I stick to the other stuff.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. it, is, it is a lot of math. Um, bottom line, it means that people who um, are earning these low to moderate incomes are not finding households or homes to either rent or buy that are in their price range.
3: So this regional study that you mentioned this is going to be able to tell you um, what the housing needs are across the board?
1: This is really up to the Regional Opportunities Initiative. It's not something that we're directly involved with, but we're interested to see what the the outcome of that may be. Um, I'd have to look at the whole scope of what they seek to cover. The, the purpose of the Regional Opportunities Initiative, which is, um, again, a, a regional initiative, is um, really to look at how to attract workforce to the region, and then certainly associated um, quality of life initiatives that go with that. And so housing certainly is part of that. If you're gonna attract people to new jobs, you need to have places for them to live.
3: Um, Bloomington Housing Authority is uh, well-established and just doing great work in the community. Monroe County just stood up an affordable housing commission and you serve as the vice chair. Um, How do you see uh, the best way to work with, uh, for to work with that that newly formed commission?
1: That's a great question. And I'm really excited to be on the commission. Um, And it's just a terrific opportunity to really, it's a wonderful group of people on the commission that really have a variety of perspectives. Um, I think one thing that is an important opportunity is um, to look at how the county commission um, for this affordable housing advisory commission might be able to develop opportunities to discuss how to work jointly with the city. Um, One of the reasons that my organization is South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities is because housing is inherently a regional issue. When people are looking for a place to live, um, they look at how close it is to their work, how close it is to school, where their kids go to school, um, where their childcare is, and they may or may not live in the same community where they work. They may move across a county border. Um, and so that's where that intergovernmental cooperation, at least between the city and the county, is a really important way to do that. And I feel that the Affordable Housing Advisory Commission is an important way to start that discussion, um, both looking at specific county issues as it relates to housing, but then looking at how to coordinate with other elements because, again, what, where people choose to live is not only based on a, a governmental jurisdiction.
2: You know, I was uh, looking at your website and I saw a couple things that stood out. Uh, there's sort of a, um, a segment that talks about just the status of where we are right now. Uh, can you elaborate on just where are we right now and where do we need to go from here?
1: That's a great question. I think there's a real excellent opportunity right now, for example, with both the city and the county, uh, City of Bloomington and Monroe County are both revising their zoning codes. Uh, They're doing that independently, but I hope there may be some opportunity for coordination between the two, because for affordable housing, um, there's not that much more developable land in the city. I mean, there's some opportunities, and we certainly want to leverage that and take advantage of it, but there's going to be more opportunities to really address the housing needs that exist as you get towards the county. And so revising zoning codes, zoning codes say, in part, what land uses are and where certain land issues can go, how dense you can build, um, and how dense you can build has an effect on affordability as well. So I think that's just kind of getting back to some of that potential for that intergovernmental coordination, saying, you know, zoning is important. Um, How do we make sure that they're compatible so we can really reach the mutual housing goals to address the quality of life in the community that we really want to see?
3: What would seem to be the uh, biggest hindrance um, and the zoning laws right now?
1: Um, I, I think that the fact that they're both being revised right now is what's important. It's just there's actually um, multiple opportunities for public comment actually coming up right this week for the city's um, unified development ordinance, which is the formal name for the zoning code. There's uh, some public meetings that are coming up. The, the city has a website for the updates to its zoning code. Um, and so it's just, I really encourage people who are interested in what land uses uh, are developing in the community and how the zoning code is shaping that to, to pay attention. And, you know, you can, there's the information is on their website. There's an opportunity for public comment. Um, and then the same is happening for the county, which the formal name for their zoning code is the Consolidated Development Ordinance. And they'll be having a meeting, I believe it's December 4th coming up. Um, so that's just next week, that we'll be doing similar public comment, public hearing. And these are just important opportunities to keep track of what's going on uh, and to weigh in on that. So I think looking forward is the, is the best opportunity for that.
2: You know, the last time you were on, we, we sort of uh, talked about some scenarios where, you know, you're a family of four. And say through um, layoffs or whatever, you find yourself now in this new classification. Uh, rather than panic, what would you recommend that they do?
1: Just trying to refine your question, is it where they no longer can stay in their current housing or in terms of if they can't afford where they are because of that change in job status, or what are you thinking of in terms of your question?
2: I think combination of both. D, all of the above.
1: Okay. Um, that's a great, I mean, just, you know, ha- dealing with housing instability is certainly yeah. a concern. Yeah. And I would mm-hmm. say that our organization um, as a nonprofit dealing, seeking to expand housing options, looks at both supply. That's important. To, you can't just stay with the same what you've got because we've got greater demand than supply. But it's also making people stable where they are. So if there is a change in, in job status, looking at well, can they stay where they are? Um, is there you know are they renting? Do they own their home? There's different resources available for renters versus homeowners uh but it's looking at how do you keep people stable in their housing because that's really the most important part to keeping the rest of their lives stable um so again we get calls on a fairly regular basis for you know what do i do my rent's going up Um, i want to live closer to where i work um you know i how do i afford uh where i'm going to be again it depends renters versus homeowners we tend to talk more about rentals uh, with the programs that we've developed right now. Eventually, I think we'd like to be able to expand into homeowners. But so for the question of how do you deal with housing instability, I think it's important to understand the resources that are out there. Um, I sometimes recommend that people look into Willie mentioned the Bloomington Housing Authority. They manage um, housing choice vouchers. And so if somebody finds that they can't afford the rent they've got or they're paying more than they should for their rent, To get a Housing Choice voucher means that it's helping to pay for your rent so that you pay 30% of your rent and the voucher pays the difference. The challenge with that is that those vouchers are limited. You have to be on a wait list for it, you even have to wait till the wait list opens up. The bottom line is that the resources that are available are finite and it can take a while to get so and
3: even when you do all of that there's no guarantee that you can get a voucher
1: right and that would be one of the things that again in terms of Sciho's interest in supporting housing stability we actually are just wrapping up um our tenant landlord housing for hoosiers workshops And the goal of those is to provide information for both renters and property owners to know their rights and responsibilities uh, in, in rentals, in rental housing. And to really provide for renters a way to distinguish themselves to show that they've taken this tenant education class so that property owners, landlords, when they see a prospective tenant that may have a voucher, um, or just otherwise be low-income to say, you know, I really want to give this person a step up um, by renting to them because they can. I can see that they know more because they've participated in this educational opportunity. They really can. Um, they're, they're somebody I want to be able to help. And so trying to work against the bias that can sometimes happen yeah. uh, for folks with vouchers.
2: Now, the vouchers replaces the um, the phrase Section 8.
1: They're, they go by both names. Okay. The, the formal yeah. name is Housing Choice Vouchers, but Section 8 is, is what historically was known as, and they kind of are interchangeable in terms of understanding what that means.
2: I remember coverage um, several years back, and maybe not that long ago, where on the day of, um, I guess, the lottery, if you will, a mad rush to get in line, and it was, as you said, not a guarantee. And people are just on that day in this long, lengthy line waiting just Fortunately, to get the Fortunately, that's history now. Yeah. It's, it's not, not managed that
1: way oh, okay. anymore. Okay. Um, it's a much more humane process now. But it's still, the, the, wait, the waiting still is mm-hmm. there, even if it's not literally outside in the cold, you know, or on a long line. But um, people gradually, you know, get pulled their name for a voucher. Um, and then, as William was indicating, they... Take the voucher they it, it's a way to get subsidy for private apartments you know on the private market as opposed to public housing which the Bloomington Housing Authority also manages so when you take that voucher on the market you're going to any apartment that's within you know the appropriate range for for what you're looking for um, and it, you just the landlord needs to uh, accept the pay, that as a form of payment and they're not required to do that so that's that's something they're that they're not a required
2: to accept mm-hmm but they're highly encouraged to accept.
1: Exactly. I mean, there's a lot of benefits to, in terms of again giving somebody who's low income a step up um, of having a guaranteed source of payment for rent.
2: But how do you con- how do you counter the stereotypes that go with that?
1: That's where our tenant education really seeks the to workshops, come in. right? Exactly. The workshops um, that we've done. We did our tenant workshops in October of this year. Mm-hmm. We're, we'll do them again in February, March of 2019. Uh, we had landlord workshops that were uh, November, the second one that was supposed to be November 15th, we had that ice storm, so we rescheduled. It's going to be a fair housing rental basics workshop uh, on December 13th. It'll be at the Monroe County Public Library, uh, and and we have people register for that.
3: Now, um, the, the market is so tight here that even when uh, people had a voucher, that they could use to secure housing um it was a challenge you know trying trying to beat the clock to find a place to live before that voucher expired so one thing that the uh, bloomington housing authority did was to extend the uh that window to give people more time to find housing do you know how effective that
1: was I can't speak definitively about that. I'd have to defer to the housing authority yeah, staff. Yeah. I will just note in terms of at least understanding what that time frame is. That typically, a voucher, um, the recipient gets 90 days to find housing. Um, the extension is up to 120 days. So it's Which still, only makes sense. Right. Um, but it's still, again, a challenge, especially in the local market. There's a very specific calendar to the rental cycle, right? Most rentals right. tend to start in August. Um, because of the university influence. And so that can make it harder in addition to the tight vacancy, you know, low vacancy rate, just if you get a voucher at a time of year where there's not that many vacancies or fewer vacancies in other seasons, that can be also a challenge, so a variety of things.
2: You know, there's this sort of symbiotic relationship in the city with the university, and um, how does IU's presence impact Available housing, you know, we talked about some factors earlier in our conversation, but how much of an impact does the university have on, on this?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think it impacts both in terms of the rental rates, right? Because um, students, um, you know, don't aren't always dependent on their own source of income. They may have parental income to help them pay rents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, of course, then skews what rents can be charged. So the market rents can be higher because of that. Um, And then overall supply. You've got, you know, 43,000 students, um, two-thirds of whom live off campus. And so that is a huge impact. Now, on the other hand, you know, at least larger apartment buildings are often, you know, either oriented towards students or not. So people who are not students are not always competing for the same exact apartments, but they do have a market that's being pushed up because of the influences of, again, it's kind of, not quite the income versus um, uh, rental rates because you've got students who may be considered lower income but that can afford higher rents. And so again, that just has an impact too. And then even having many students who may be eager for work experience and internships who may be willing to work for lower wages, that can also push wages down. So there's a couple of influences that are there that are identifiable towards the university.
3: Would this conversation even be taking place were it not for IU?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, certainly, you know, many people say, "Well, the quality of life—that high demand to live here—is um, because of that."
2: <laughs> it's his alma mater. That's no, why. He's no, no, him. I chuckled on that because <laughs> of uh, this this great big shadow that sometimes is cast. Um, you, you know, look at the influence of IU with with healthcare now. I mean, we have a hospital that, that's about to relocate. Uh, you know, good, bad, and different. Whatever the decision has been made, but a mighty influence on that was the university's presence. So you have housing concerns now um, that many people are trying to wrestle with and get their arms wrapped around. And we are so fortunate tonight on that note to have Deborah Meyerson with us, who is the executive director of the South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities. And this is a homegrown nonprofit entity. And can you explain how you're homegrown? Sure. uh, How that came about?
1: Um, We actually were started in affiliation with the Bloomington Housing Authority. We are an independent 501c3, um, but the housing authority, the Bloomington Housing Authority, had identified a real need for expanding housing options that they as an agency were not prepared to do um, because they manage public housing and they um, manage those housing choice vouchers we talked about earlier, but weren't at the time really in a position to produce housing or otherwise developed programs. So they saw the need for uh, a nonprofit that could do that. And so in doing that, establish SIHO. Um, Again, we are independent. The main connection is that um, two of our board members, because we have our own separate board of directors, two of our board members uh, are also commissioners uh, and the Bloomington Housing Authority Board of Commissioners. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but we are based right here in Bloomington. Affordable housing developers can come from a variety of places and backgrounds, and sometimes they are national or regional entities and certainly bring important resources to the community in developing the housing. But if they're not based locally, have a different kind of angle and perspective in what they're doing, Um, you know, kind of just with any business. If they are a a national chain or from out of town, you know, they contribute to the community, but not in the same way that local businesses do. And so we're a local business. It's, we're a local nonprofit, but um, our goal is to serve the community um, as I think only really local um, uh, organizations can do.
2: You know, as as um, you are an, an homegrown entity uh, doing uh, just tremendous things for those who have have needs, as you survey the state of Indiana, even with the challenges that you're you're confronting and overcoming, do you view this as a model um, operation for other cities, counties in Indiana?
1: We'd like to be. We're still pretty new.
2: Giving you a chance um, to brand. Right. Here. No, yeah. I think
1: that's, no, we, we'd like to be something that could be a model to be able to stand out from that. We're still pretty new, kind of getting our bearings. Um, uh, I've been on staff for uh, two years now, and, um, and I'm the only full time staff person for our nonprofit. Um, so we're seeking to develop that because certainly our goal is as a regional organization to grow to serve that region. Our, our programs currently serve primarily Bloomington, Monroe County, but gradually um, we're expanding that. And so just looking at how to do that. I think I think housing is best served on a regional basis. So I think in that sense, the potential for that model is definitely there, but we're mm-hmm. still growing to, to meet to fill those shoes.
2: You know, I looked on your website, I see that you were awarded um, a $500,000 affordable housing program grant. And if you'd like to elaborate a little bit on that, uh, that'd be great.
1: Sure. And this is actually specifically for um, the development of the Switchard Apartments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is for, uh, it's a property that was donated through the city of Bloomington under a 99-year ground lease. It's Switchyard Apartments is right next to Switchyard Park on South Rogers Street. Uh, there's currently a single-family house there that's vacant that we'll be clearing. We expect that construction will begin uh, probably by early 2019. We're finishing up on closing on some um, of the financing. So the what you've mentioned here, this $500,000 grant is... To develop affordable housing, you need to have several layers of finance. You can't do it just from a, a bank mortgage. So we do have a bank mortgage. Um, we also have a loan that we're closing on with the Indiana Housing and Community Development Authority, um, which is the majority mortgage. The $500,000 grant is from the uh, af- affordable housing program uh, administered by the Federal Home Loan Bank of Indianapolis. Uh, we also have money from the city of Bloomington from their home um a program, which is federal funds, and then from the housing development fund that the city administers as well. So all of those different elements are needed to to produce this. And so it doesn't actually serve our operations for our organization, but it makes it possible to build the mm-hmm. apartments. Mm-hmm.
3: I think this is as good a time as any to announce uh, the monthly housing segment that you're going to be doing for... Uh, for Bring It On. Yes. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about what you intend to do with that, that, the information that you want to put out.
1: Sure. Well, as you've heard even through the course of this interview, there's tons of different information out there about housing and needs, um, both local affordability, how families manage when they are not getting their needs met. And so um, I'm delighted and excited to be able to bring this housing segment to Bring It On. Um, We'll be calling it Housing for Hoosiers. It's related to the other programming that we're developing. We have um, a a renters resource website called housingforhoosiers.org. It's housing number Hoosiers.org, And so I see the um, radio segment as a way to expand the reach of the content that we've developed through this programming. Um, In addition to the website, we have, as I mentioned, the Housing for Hoosiers tenant landlord workshops, We have uh, actually a Housing for Hoosiers YouTube channel that has several videos on it. And so the material that we've produced, again, primarily aimed at renters and property owners, I think that'll be the first step. Um, But I also welcome suggestions and ideas that people have, um, whether they direct it to the host to bring it on or to me directly. I'm really, you know, again, I have some starter ideas, but welcome additional uh, questions and uh, thoughts that people would like to share for the segment. Got
2: a YouTube channel, huh? Yeah, YouTube.
1: I, I,
3: Big time I, director I now, too.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, what we envision uh, is that monthly presence here on Bring It On, and, and again, bringing uh, updates and progress reports. And um, I, I realize uh, that you are working on a five year strategic plan uh, that uh, I'd like for you to touch on. Uh, that will, you know, as we go and progress into 2019 and beyond, elements, of course, can be discussed. But but what a phenomenal way for uh, our listening audience to be kept apprised of, as far as uh, progress made in this, this vital area. This is one of those, you know, I, I go back to that stat. Um, this market is the most affordable in Indiana, and, and, and I realize that. And I see there's a lot of ways firsthand. But... Talk to us a little bit. We have some time left uh, about your strategic plan, maybe some particular elements that you're pretty uh, pleased with and maybe some elements may be more ambitious than others. But but share with us, if you will, um, the direction of of your organization and, and, and what it is you want to achieve.
1: Absolutely. Um, And so this is our five-year strategic plan. It's on our website. So if you want to see what Clarence is referencing, you're welcome to download it off our website. Um, It's something that we revised earlier this year. We had kind of an initial plan that we started out when we got Rolling at the end of 2016, early 2017, and then updated it this year for kind of a five-year outlook when we saw how our, some of our programs took place. Um, I think I'll emphasize the element that talks about our mission-based programs just because that's the most kind of tangible part of that. Um, so that includes the switch our departments. One of our goals is to develop an affordable housing pipeline because to develop housing, again, we need to increase the supply. But it takes a while to right. get from land acquisition to assembling the financing to um, getting the contractor in place and just getting rolling with construction, we originally had the land offered to us by the city in March of 2017. Well, we're talking about getting started with construction in, you know, first quarter of 2019. Well, that's two years right there. And that's before we're even open. We expect to be open in fall of 2019. But that's two and a half years then, just to get from concept to execution. And so it's important to be able to develop a pipeline of affordable housing, which means, again, especially looking at land, land acquisition, or it could be rehab. So it could be rehab, Having existing properties so looking at candidates figuring out where the financing is coming from um, it can differ depending if it's in the city of Bloomington there's certain resources available if it's in the county or surrounding counties there's other resources because as I was describing a little bit specifically for switch our departments earlier creating the financing for an affordable housing project has many um, sources that are needed
3: but you um you know, going through that that first iteration of uh, uh, acquiring the uh, the uh, facility that you're going to renovate for uh, affordable housing, you learned a lot during that whole process. Right. So your next project will, will hopefully go uh, a little faster. We hope. What would you lo- what kind of timeline would you like to see?
1: That's a great question. I mean, even for the Switcher Apartments, we've got Phase One and Phase Two. So yeah. I'm looking into assembling financing now for Phase Two. It's a smaller property, smaller <clears throat> apartments. Sources of financing are, are fewer. I'd love to get Phase Two online uh, to you know get the financing lined up in 2019 and, and construction in 2020 because we'll have the architectural plans already. We have the infrastructure in place and the utilities in place. It, should go faster, but finding those sources of financing can be tough, especially for a smaller project.
3: So you're shooting for about one year from concept to execution, That's as you said. That's my
1: wish list, but okay. don't hold me to it. <laughs>
2: Developers and contractors, if they were to, uh, to do some pro bono work with you, would that be received?
1: Obviously, I would imagine it
2: would, but are there constraints even with that?
1: There's constraints because, you know, pro bono is great. I mean, even the architecture, architects that we're working with for art Apartments is Springpoint, and they've been terrific, and they started out with doing some, Bruno, some pro bono work for us on the preliminary. Um, but now, you know, everybody needs to, to earn their way through right. this and to get paid. And so pro bono is a good start, but we really just want to have a good working business relationship with mm. folks to be able to move forward. So um it, There's definitely opportunities to support us as a nonprofit. It's the operation side. I think that's, um, you know, part of it, too, is just we as a nonprofit have been looking at how to diversify our sources of funding. Um, We had some startup funds to help us get going with the housing authority, but that's, you know, we're on our own now. And so we're looking at how to, you know, generate that pipeline of affordable housing development with developer fees. But given how long it can take to actually get from start to finish, we need to look at other sources as well.
3: You know, um housing becomes more affordable the farther you move away from the city so as you work to acquire and develop affordable housing are you under the same types of uh the same pressures or or do you want to um um focus on on combating that that situation uh where people have to move further out that's a good another great question
1: well the thing that people need to understand is that Housing is partly about the cost of housing, but it's also about transportation and access to amenities. So you could live further out, but it might mean you're more car dependent. and And daycare issues too exactly so if you're more car dependent it means you have to make sure that you have if your car breaks down if it needs a repair you need the money to deal with that if you um if you're not don't have access to a bus line then you just need to be able to make sure that your income can cover the additional expenses that are associated with transportation not just to have the car but that you're using it more you're driving longer distances you're paying for more gas uh and and you may be farther from other resources as well you may be farther from the grocery store you may be farther from childcare or your child's school. So it's important to understand that affordable housing is not just about housing, it's about location as well. And so trying to consolidate, that's kind of getting back to that zoning question of making sure that you know where the higher densities are gonna be built are closest to where the existing resources are. Because uh, even if you have the land and you're close to resources, is there the road to get to there? Is, is the infrastructure there? Are utilities there? Um, and so there's a lot of different things that need to be lined up to make sure that affordable housing is truly affordable for people who need it. And that includes outside the city and in the counties as well.
2: You know, with the remaining time that we have, I'd, I'd like for you to perhaps uh, switch gears and let us know how the listening public uh, can help uh, you achieve some of the goals that you've set out.
1: Sure. Thank you for asking. Um, Well, I'll suggest two things. One is um, some folks may have heard of uh, Neighborhood Assistance Program tax credits. They're also called NAP tax credits. And they are a way that people can support uh, their favorite causes while also getting uh, a credit back on their taxes. So it's a way of doubling one's impact on making a donation. And we have an allocation of NAP tax credits we're happy to make available. More information is on our website about that. And um, I recommend that people get in touch with me directly because we have a limited amount. So while we are eager and happy to to have people use them. Um, at, at some point, they'll be used up. And so we want to make sure people know what the standing of that is. Um, the other thing I'll suggest is um, tomorrow for many nonprofits is a is a, an important day. It's called Giving Tuesday. Folks are familiar with Black Friday and with uh, Small Business Saturday and Cyber Monday. Well, in the last six or seven years, um, Giving Tuesday has been kind of a highlight at this kind of holiday season to for people to really honor both their favorite nonprofits and, and causes they'd like to honor. So um, in fact, uh, we have a fundraiser on our Facebook page that's for South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities. And that partly uh, Facebook is actually matching all donations that are made tomorrow. So if somebody gives money through the Facebook fundraiser for SIHO. Um, if they give $100, they'll get matched a $100. Facebook has, I think, put $7 million behind this, so probably better to get in there earlier than later in the day mm-hmm, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. to get that match. but we're really excited about that and hope that people will, will take up that opportunity.
2: Well, you know, uh, I am, number one, happy that you'll be joining us uh, on our quest to inform our listening public and looking forward to your segments uh, each month. Um, we were so impressed with Deborah the last time that she came on uh, that after some conversations, uh, this is an area that we want to focus on as far as informing our listening publics. Uh, what is Bloomington and Monroe County doing to sort of help uh, the, this current situation? I'm encouraged, and I can say that a lot of communities don't have um, the operations or the magnitude of impact that you that you have right now. But uh, we, we do want to thank you for all that you do and look forward to partnering with you in the coming months. Well, we want to say uh, thank you again to Deborah Myerson, Executive Director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities, for joining us this evening to enlighten us on progress to date on improving the affordable housing status in the area. And, of course, more will come as she will be... Um, Uh, taking charge of a segment produced um, for the Bring It On broadcast that will air once a month.
3: Bring It On has an open submission policy, so if you have any ideas for this program, we would like to hear them. Please send emails to our volunteer staff. The address is bringiton at wfhb.org. We want to make sure we share any and everything affecting the African-American community with our listening audience in Bloomington and beyond. That email address once again, bring it on at wfhb.org.
2: heard um you just heard when the role is called up yonder and that was by gordon moat from the cd project piano hymns if you could hear what i see and to keep up um with local news and find out what's happening behind the scenes at wfhb you're invited to like the wfhb facebook page Go to Facebook.com and search for WFHB, or you can always visit the WFHB News website at wfhb.org slash news.
3: Bring It On is Indiana's only public affairs program dedicated to the African-American community here on WFHB 91.3 FM
2: and live on the web at wfhb.org. For Bring It On, I'm William Hosea and I'm Clarence Boone. At the top of the hour, we share that Mark Fraley, Monroe County Democratic Chairman will provide some observations and analysis of the recent midterm elections and as uh, a chauffeur driven uh, convoy did arrive safely <laughs> over the <laughs> city streets, uh, the, uh, the, the guards came in and escorted him in. he's here.
3: <laughs> but uh, also amongst several county and statewide topics tomorrow there's an all-important Mississippi senatorial runoff between candidate Mike Espy and incumbent Senator Cindy High Smith. And, uh, Mark, we would really like to hear your perspective on that
0: race. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, for all of our listeners who are over in Mississippi. Uh, and you
3: can't um, wait to talk Mississippi. about <laughs> yeah, For all, of our, all the
0: listeners, uh, bringing on listeners in Mississippi, um, you know, I, 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 I do have right an endorsement <laughs> in that race. Um, and I generally tend to prefer candidates that uh, don't make offhanded remarks about lynchings. And so I think yeah. that that's one of those things. But even beyond that point, you know, I mean, I, I, I think that, you know, this is something that you're actually seeing that's more and more common. I mean, you have a, uh, um, uh, you know, pr- pretty remarkable candidate and a person like Mike Expey, obviously, to be able to run for a position like this in Mississippi. Great state. I've been there multiple times. I, I love it. Uh, but, uh, you know, to, to see the GOP uh, continuously uh, churn out candidates that are really going to play to the, the darkest impulses of their base is one of those things that's just become deeply saddening about American politics today and um, you know you've seen this all throughout the midterms and this is clearly something that Donald Trump has uh, turned into uh, one of his Uh, Trademarks is really the ability to try to rile the more racially uh, based um, passions of voters to be able to divide the public and to uh, feed off some of the worst impulses of American politics and what the American people are facing. And so uh, I really uh, will always hope that this is something that is going to backfire. An anomaly. Yeah.
3: But but, you know, feeding off of the impulses from the uh, darkest uh, portions of his base that that works for him. And it seems like the base is, is just completely dark. I mean, there, there's no light in there anywhere.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I would like to be able to think that there are uh, uh, Republicans out there that have a real. You know, commitment to civic engagement, to productive dialogue and to be able to solving the world's problems. Unfortunately, it seems like those voices are becoming more and more marginalized, and the uh, voices of bigotry are becoming more mainstream.
2: And I think evident with that is, is something somewhat unrelated, but, but definitely um, demonstrates what, what we're talking about. You have a brutal killing yeah. on foreign soil of an American citizen, journalist. That person has been uh, subtly demonized to the point where uh, it's okay to overlook this uh, infraction, this this mild infraction, because our oil prices, uh, mm-hmm. the cost of gasoline is lower, uh, mm-hmm. and thank you Saudi Arabia, keep the prices mm-hmm. going down. Oh, we have a multiple hundred billion, supposed it, hundred billion dollar defense uh, bill uh, to, for them to get weaponry to to just weapons at Yemen, um, mm-hmm. and on and on and on, and, and uh, aside from all the intelligence information saying, look, this could not have happened without the Crown Prince's knowledge. Well, he said it didn't happen. Maybe he knew, maybe he didn't, and, and so the there's a portion of the American public that is willing to give this person a pass on that, and that's, that's mind control.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is one of those areas that we've always had long disagreements between, you know, liberals and conservatives, Democrats, Republicans, people of all stripes are going to disagree with one another on a lot of different things. But sometimes we have to also understand that the facts are the facts, you know. And you know, I really do think that what American intelligence has to uh, say about uh, Saudi Arabia's role in this killing is something that we need to pay serious attention to. The same thing that we need to, to pay serious attention to uh, Russian in United States elections, the same way we need to be able to pay attention to what the science says about mm-hmm. things like climate change. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's part of, you know, kind of appealing to those dark impulses of the base is that it's not just about the fact that it uh, divides people and that it's bigoted, though it doesn't, it is, but it's also the very fact that we're relying on conspiracy rather than reason. And that is something that's uh, very disturbing for uh, any modern society.
3: You know, for a brief moment there, um, it seemed like we were gonna hear more Republican voices and pushback after the uh, Jamal Khashoggi killing. Mm -hmm. But um, even that seems to have fizzled out to where you only have a couple of lone rangers now who are are really speaking up and saying anything.
0: Yeah.
2: And now William uh, uh, and and Mark, we have uh, mothers and children being gassed at our Mm -hmm. southern border. Because when he rolled down the, the, the gold-plated escalator, when he announced, he yeah. started off by saying, they don't send their best, Yeah, and we have to guard, I mean, as if, what is he talking about?
0: Yeah, and I don't know who Donald Trump is to be able to measure uh, who the best is, um, because sometimes we have to question ourselves as an electorate whether we sent our best to the White House. And, um, you know, to me, that's actually (laughs) a pretty easy answer. Uh, But when we're evaluating people on whether whether or not they're sending their best, you know, I mean, to me, the best uh, in American values is somebody who can put in a day and reach out to another person in an act of compassion. And if you can do that, then... you. You know, you are by... all means among the best of Americans. It does not necessarily matter what your education level is, what your occupation is, what your status is, and um, it, you know. In my <laughs> opinion, some of the most amazing people that you're going to see here are people who are non citizens, people who work hard for a living, people who try, who uh, take care of their families, and people who are wonderful members of our communities. And to really see the Trump administration, you know, play the race card specifically. Uh, targeted uh, towards non-citizens, I think, is actually uh, a very dispiriting move in American politics today.
3: That situation at the border was uh, really unfortunate because that's exactly what he wanted to see. Right. Was yeah. uh, uh, right. The, those people doing exactly what they rushing, did at the border? Rushing so to the gate, yeah, rushing to yeah, a yeah throwing stones. So that throwing just stone. Stone. So that just gave him an excuse mm-hmm. to do exactly what he did, and and issuing an order for the military to use lethal force against civilians throwing rocks. You know, that that kind of uh,
2: really, I think that's a dark moment for us. But he had scientific uh, proof to say that a rock can do just as much damage as uh, uh, an assault rifle that a, a service personnel would use. Well, they went back to their cars and changed clothes and then got new rocks. <laughs> and and the fact that the Army is down there doing this, when I thought we had legislation that prevented the Army from doing exactly what now he has overrode certain laws to say, yes, you can. See, and, and, and that's something else, I guess, that will be investigated come January when the Democrats will... Coming to the house, what a segue! So, uh, yeah, is it that segue. they're going to line up with all these subpoenas? Are they going to line up with all these investigations? Which I think, if they do, that could work against them.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that the Democrats want to, you know, very be very careful not to do anything that's going to give more power to the Trump administration right. and give more power to the Republicans. And I think that we always have to consider uh, what are some of the consequences of our actions. And you know, we have to think, well, what is it that we want to do with this new power that we have? Uh, over the House. Uh, and there are a lot of critical things that we can do. Yes, we do need to be able to hold the Trump administration accountable. And that's going to involve some subpoenas. That's going to uh, you know, involve looking into a lot of things that have been overlooked for the past couple of years. And that's an important piece of it. But it's also going to be about building a supportive climate for progressive issues, for expanding health care, for expanding the franchise, for tr- being able to um, build a decent system of public education, to be able to have systems that are going to uh, feed people who are hungry and take care of people who are sick. These are the prime Democratic values. And we've got a chance to be able to build a supportive climate for those things in the House. Obviously, uh, Trump is going to have the ability to veto anything that passes. And plus, uh, we can also uh, understand that with a Republican-controlled Senate, uh, we're not going to be able to make all the progress that we're going – that we're we want to be able to make on these issues but we know that we can actually push these issues forward build a supportive climate while holding trump accountable and that's going to require a balancing act it can't right. all be about just going in uh, all at once because clarence as you mentioned that is going to backfire
3: plus the 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 check is in place yes you know uh republicans can't run roughshod right. uh, with with their their tax cuts and uh they still get to implement the federal judges.
0: Yeah, well, and I, I think. That, we can do about I, that. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think that what we have to do about it is, um, you know will still, you know protest if you know Trump puts yeah. a, another uh, right winger on the Supreme Court or to any court. And I think that we have to be able to push back against it. Uh, but we're also going to have a little bit more of an opportunity to be able to lay out a positive agenda. And I look forward to the Democrats doing just that um, come January.
3: I wanted to ask you a question about Nancy Pelosi. Yeah okay. So um, of course she was instrumental in engineering. The Democratic takeover of the House. Mm. Uh, the Senate lost how many seats? I, I know they flipped at least three. Yeah, it's about, th-
0: yeah, something like that.
3: Okay, so there were calls for Nancy Pelosi to step down, but yeah. none for Chuck Schumer to step down. Right, So I, I don't un- quite understand the, 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 dy- <laughs> the dynamics here. What, what do you What think? could possibly
0: be different between the two of them? <laughs> um, well, and no, I mean, I think that there's a couple of important things to be able to consider, uh, one of which is the fact that the Senate map was never uh, very bright for Democrats this year. Yeah. And so I don't uh, attribute the losses necessarily to uh, Schumer's leadership. Uh, and in fact, actually, if you look at the popular uh, vote turnout uh, for both the Senate and the House, you know, the Democrats actually did pretty well, uh, but you know, we're cursed by geography in that particular circumstance, and so I don't necessarily think that um, the Democrats coming up uh, short in the Senate has uh, necess- uh, necessarily weighs on Schumer in particular. Uh, you know, with the situation with Nancy Pelosi, I mean, obviously, this is kind of a perennial issue. We have a number of candidates that would actually compete on uh, – that, that ran their races uh, stating that they would not support Nancy Pelosi. Um, and there's uh, some – and that's a very complicated situation. You know, Nancy Pelosi has uh, – many people say she was one of the most effective speakers of the House uh, in modern – modern times. A lot of people are going to say that. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. She was very instrumental in being able to pass the Affordable Care Act. Right. She was very exactly. uh, she was very instrumental in pushing it back, uh, core pieces of the Bush administration, and actually managed to uh, help engineer a in- uh, minimum wage increase while we had a Republican president. And that's nothing to be able to smirk at. There's also an argument out there saying that, well, you know what, that's great, but she that was um, the leader of the 2000s. We need a new leader for, you know, someone in 2019, somebody that might reflect much more of the younger or more uh, diverse demographic that is uh, taking up in the Democratic Party. And there are fine arguments to be able to play out there. I note that if Nancy Pelosi is elected speaker, I will happily stand by her and root for her every step of the way as she uh, builds an alternative to the Trump administration.
2: With uh, the short time that we have remaining, um, actually about two minutes. All right. (laughs) Um, uh, Where this did is, he go? This is going to be a I loaded I was just getting warmed up, too. A, a loaded response from me. Um, And we did not talk about, of course, uh, what's going on in uh, 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 Georgia and Florida, but yeah. or what happened in Georgia and Florida. Mm-hmm. But nevertheless, um, regionally, locally, okay, mm-hmm. um, our hope, Donnelly, um, yeah. was not successful. Mm-hmm. Um, what now for Donnelly? Does he. Just curious, does he run again? You
0: know, I mean, obviously the senator is going to have to make that decision. um, You know, I have enormous respect for Senator Donnelly. Uh, You know, he's uh, a good guy. Has uh, done his time uh, honorably, I think. Um, You know, I mean, I think that it is always an uphill climb when you are in a state like Indiana. Uh, You know, however, I wish Senator Donnelly, well, whatever he chooses to do next, uh, you know, I know that he's going to do it with all of his heart.
2: And the final question that we have with a minute left. um, uh, Locally, uh, I understand William has shared, I don't know if this is public, but uh, you have decided to... uh, cast your half for president of the United States <laughs> You're stepping down from the Democratic chair for Monroe County so I, I didn't it's tell official on uh, bringing on Mark Freely is <laughs> throwing his hat in uh, but, but i will be running as far away now, from this possible unfortunately I left you with 30 seconds to talk about local r- results and we can't get it all in but Uh, A parting 30-second response.
0: Yeah, well, in a nutshell, you know, the Democrats did very well locally. I mean, in almost all the local races, uh, you know, Democrats got uh, at minimum 65 percent of the vote. And I think that that's a testament to uh, the character of the community that we're living in. While Indiana might become uh, more and more conservative here, at least in Monroe County, here in our home, we've got a community committed to care. And we've got people that are going to elect good, um, progressive, pragmatic leaders, and uh, we look forward for that to, to, to continue on.
2: All right. Well, uh, on that note, and uh, of course, we, we want to get you back on again. Uh, our yeah. thanks to Mark Fraley, Monroe County Democratic Chairman, for providing his observations on uh, national, regional, and then local um, uh, impacts from the midterm elections, including the pivotal Mississippi uh, senatorial runoff between candidate Mike Espy and incumbent Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith.
3: If you have an event or happening the African American community should know about, please send info directly to our staff. Or if you want additional information about like anything that you've heard tonight, contact us and bring it on at WFHB.org.
2: Once again our thanks to Deborah Meyerson, Executive Director of South Central Indiana Housing Opportunities for joining us this evening to enlighten us on progress to date on improving the affordable housing status in the area.
3: Our show's producer is this gentleman sitting next to me with help from WFHB News Department Director Wes Martin. Our board engineer the engineer is Taya Wilson. Our original theme music was created by Jamil F.M. with additional background tracks by David Baker. For WFHB, I'm William Hosea. And I'm Clarence Boone.
2: Tune in next Monday because it will be December the 3rd at 6 p.m. for another exciting edition of Bring It On right here on your community radio station, WFHB.
1: You've been listening to Bring It On, a volunteer-powered production of Community Radio WFHB in Bloomington, Indiana.
0: Bring It On is your forum for open dialogue on the people, issues, and events affecting the African-American community in South Central Indiana and beyond.
1: Send your comments, suggestions, and story ideas directly to the Bring it On staff. The email address is Bring it at wfhb.org.
0: That’s Bring it at wFhb.org.